Good morning. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. I will be reading from Romans 16, verses 25 through 27. Now all the glory to God, who is able to make you strong. Just as my good news says, this message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you, Gentiles. A plan kept secret from the beginning of time. But now as the prophets foretold, as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere, so that they too might believe and obey him. All glory to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, forever. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is always a privilege to be with the Eastridge family. It's a little bit daunting for me today because normally I'm out there with you looking up here instead of being up here looking out at you. Um, we are coming to the end of our study in the book of Romans, and Gary asked me if I would be willing to uh, bring this study to a, a close. And uh, I kind of hoped that I would be speaking from Romans 14 or 15 because those two chapters transformed my view of Christianity as a teenager a long, long time ago. Um, but no, I get to preach Romans 16, which is like preaching from the lineages of Scripture. You know, Matthew 1, so-and-so begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so. And, -so, begat so, -and -so. and uh, so you get the picture. Now, Romans 16 almost feels like you have broken into someone's desk and are rifling through their personal um, papers. Paul is writing to friends, and in the early verses, he names 25 people, 17 men, 8 women, 2 unnamed women, and then in verses 13 and 15, he names 2 households uh, of faith, and behind Paul's comments, and you need to catch this, behind Paul's comments, there are dramas that were never written, there are heroics and sacrifices that were never recorded. And Bible scholars have spent a lot of time uh, speculating on just who these people were, where they came from and eventually what happened to them. One of the best observations of these verses was made by William Barclay, who comments that in these verses, Paul characterizes many of the people with a single sentence. They risked their lives for me. He was tried and true. He and one she was a hard worker. And, and as we work through these verses, and now it's too long for us to go through all of them, so we're just going to highlight a, a few of them, I want you to think about this question. If your friends and family were asked to sum up your life in one sentence, what would that sentence be? What would that sentence be? The people in this chapter are not famous people. They are ordinary people like you and like me. But they did extraordinary things. You know, every one of us has the potential for either widespread influence 
Or as we'll see as we get to verses 16 and, uh, 17 and 18, excuse me, the potential for wretching conflict. And as we look, go through this passage this morning, I'm going to be going reading from the New English Bible. It begins this way. Now I begin, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Centuria. Now let me pause here for a minute because Centuria, century, it's Centuria, um, was a uh, in the Roman province of Achaia, and it was the eastern port for the city of Corinth. It was located five miles southeast of the city of Corinth. The town is mentioned twice in the Bible, once um, during Paul's second missionary journey, and then again in our text here. Now, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Sincrea. Now, the word servant here is from the Greek word. The actual word that's used in this passage is deaconon, which is taken from deaconos, which is the word we get for deacon. Um, now, whether Phoebe, uh, Phoebe served the church as a official role of deacon and an official role of deacon, or whether she was just a member of the church who was known for her service, it's up for you to decide. Biblical scholars are divided on this. Um, what is not in question is that the word that is used simply means servant. If you recall at the initiation of the office of deacon in Acts chapter 6, these people were called to serve the physical needs of the church so that the apostles can continue to meet the spiritual needs of the church. So what you believe about Phoebe in this situation is entirely up to you, whether you decide that she was actually in the office of deacon or whether she is simply a member of the church who was recognized for her role in service. Uh, of the fellowship is merely speculation because the context can go either way. What is important here, whether or not she was in the office of deacon or simply a faithful servant of the church, is that in, in this we see that the role of women had been transformed by the ministry of Christ and it continued to be transformed in the early church. Paul put it this way, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Now, we don't mean that in the gender dysphoria sense of the way, so don't even go there. This is a sociological elevation of the role of women by Christ and his followers. What we assume is normal today was revolutionary in Christ's day. It was counter-cultural. That Paul would write about 11 ladies in his letter. Is unheard of in that day. But the role of women had been elevated by Jesus and by the apostle. You need to understand that if you read Paul correctly, he is not a misogynist. He's not. As some claim he was, unfortunately. Um, 
And the church sometimes get this right. And unfortunately, sometimes we get this wrong in our history. Because rather than reflecting the biblical standard of the role of women, the church sometimes begins to reflect the cultural standards of the role and standards and rights of woman, rather than maintaining the standards of Scripture. But that's another message for another time. Here in our passage, Phoebe and ten other women receive the respect that they are due. Now I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church of Sancria, so that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and provide for her with whatever she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many, including me. So this question and observation about their role is confirmed under the inspiration of the Spirit by the apostle in this one verse. He says, welcome her in the Lord in a way that is worthy of the saints of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, come on, people. Let's get this right. We need to stand up and be counted. We need to show the world the proper view of women, not reflect the improper worldly view of them. Make sure you're treating her in a way that is worthy of those who claim to know Jesus Christ. Then he says, give her whatever help she may need from you. Now, it appears that the reason that she's going to Rome is that she is supposed to carry the letter that Paul is writing in Corinth to the church at Rome. This is an amazing, tremendous responsibility that she has. And obviously she was successful because we're still reading it 2,100 years later. Paul also reminds them that they should help her because she's been invaluable help to others. Our text reads, because uh, for she's been a great help to many, including me, some translations say that she has been a great benefactor, which leads Bible scholars to believe that Phoebe is one of the people who are wealthy in the early church, and she gave her monetary gifts to help further the gospel of Christ and help people. And Paul says, including me. Now, in the next 13 verses, Paul's going to tell the church to greet a number of people. He's going to use that word greet 17 times in 13 verses. That word greet comes from the Greek word aspizomai, which means not just to say hello, but it means to show one's respects, to pay respect, to salute, to honor these people. And the word that Paul uses in this text is an imperative verb. So Paul is saying, I expect you to do this. This is how Christians are supposed to act. I expect this of you. 
honor those who in this case, and this is, the, this is, this is probably the takeaway, this is probably the takeaway, who in this case are people who obviously work quietly behind the scenes, unrecognized, perhaps sometimes unappreciated, but absolutely necessary for the health and function of the church. I mean, look at the list of names, and you, you do it on your own. I, I trust that you'll do that. But look at the list of names. We don't know a lot about these people, with perhaps the exception of Priscilla and Aquila. We hear about them a couple of times. But everybody else, you know, they were ordinary people. For the church to function, for the church to be helpful, every member needs to minister. Every member needs to minister. Everyone may not be called to preach, but you can greet. You can make people feel at home. You can make people feel welcome. You know, back when I was a pastor with Fred Flintstone and the boys, I used to tell my staff and my people that the most important people in the church any given Sunday was not the pastor. It wasn't even the praise team. It was the greeters. And the reason for that is, I don't know if you know about this statistic, but if you have a guest that comes to church, they're going to make up their mind whether they're going to return to that church within the first six minutes. In other words, from the time they drive in to the parking lot to the time they reach the sanctuary doors, they've already made up their mind whether they're coming back. And it's not the pastors that's influenced that. It's the people who greet and serve coffee on Sunday, who are on the connection team, people who serve on Justin and Kelly's team uh, to make a difference. And what I want to say to you is if you serve on one of those teams, you are making a bigger impact than you think. You really are. After I retired from my church, and we were looking for a church, we went to many different churches. We came here. And we made up our mind by the time we got from the first door to the second door, we, this is the place. This is where we need to be. And that was before we ever heard Gary preach. So, if you serve in one of these ways, thank you, thank you, thank you for your service. You're making a difference. And if you don't serve, you can. Just go sign up at the information booth. Now, we're not going to go through the names again because we don't have time to do that. But uh, I, I encourage you to... to look through them at home. Um, Priscilla and Aquila 
who we are going to talk about a little bit, met Paul in Corinth. As far as the church is concerned, they're kind of a footnote in the history of the church. But what you need to know is this. When Paul got to Corinth, he was beat up. I mean, he had a, he had a hard time. He wanted to go east to Asia Minor to serve Christ, to take the gospel of Christ. That's where he wanted to go. And twice, God stopped him and said, the spirit of Jesus said no. And after the second time when God stopped him, he got what we call the Macedonian call, you know, where God says, okay, I don't want you going east. I want you to go west. I don't want you to go to Asia Minor. I want you to go to Europe. And so when God tells you that, and it's that clear, what do you do? You go, right? And of course, if you're going to go because he's called you to do this, it's going to be great. I mean, you're doing what God called you to do, right? So Paul goes in the first city he goes to. He's beaten and thrown into prison. And then the officials of the city come to him and say, hey, we want you to get out of our city. We don't want you here anymore. The second city he goes to, riots start, and he has to be snuck out of the city to save his life. The third city he goes to, he's having a little success. But then people from the second city find out he's in that city, and they go there and start riots. And the church says, Paul, you got to leave. You got to leave. The next city he goes to, Athens, he ends up being dragged before the Supreme Court of the town because of what he's teaching. And a few people accept what he ha has to say. Most people mock him. So then he ends up in Corinth. And this is where he meets Aquila and Priscilla. And listen, because this is something that we get wrong so many times. He goes back to making tents with them. It is not because he was a bivocational pastor. It's because he was discouraged. He was beat up. And he was confused. <laughs> the great apostle Paul. It happened to him, it can happen to you. I, I, I get it. And we don't know what the conversation between Paul and Priscilla and Quilla might have been. We do know this, that he's writing to Rome because they were Roman citizens, or not Roman citizens, they were in Rome and they were kicked out because they were Jewish by uh, the emperor Claudius. So here they are all together in Corinth. And the interesting thing about all of this is something that we don't often consider is found in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 11. The Lord said to Paul by a vision in the night, do not be afraid to speak. Do not be silent because I am with you and no one will assault you to harm you because I have many people in this city. So he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God to them. Now, this is just for the what is worth department. But whenever you see that phrase in scripture, do not be afraid or fear not. Do you know why it's there? 
because the person was afraid. They were fearful about something. Paul had been faithful to respond to God's call to evangelize and plant churches around the Mediterranean rim. And it had gotten him this far, nothing but trouble. Now, I don't know about you, but if that were me, I'd be doing the same thing Paul's doing. I'd be saying, God, did I, did I hear you right? I, I, what, what did I miss? I mean, I responded yes to you, and now I got nothing but trouble. What, what's, what's going on here? And I wonder if that's how Paul felt. What we know is this, in Corinth, he was afraid to speak because our text says it in Acts. And the Greek words that are used when you see him in, in Corinth mean that he was very hesitant about speaking. He did a little bit of debating in the synagogue, but that was about it. After Timothy came over, up to that, he was just back to making tents. So, do not be silent. Why does he say that? Because he was being silent. He probably was discouraged. He probably was confused. And, and in this setting, he hooks up with Priscilla and Aquila. And I imagine that part of the thing there, not only talking about the church in Rome, but I think they were being an encouragement to him. These footnote people in history. Do you know somebody who needs encouragement today? They've been through some difficult situation, some troubling times in their life. Could it be that God has brought them into your life for this very season, this very moment? How many of you have ever heard of a 19th, Sunday, 19th century Sunday school teacher by the name of Ed Kimball? Okay, I don't see any hands. Ed Kimball, I didn't expect to. Ed Kimball was like the people in our text, a footnote in history. Most have never heard of Ed Kimball. <coughs> but Ed Kimball was responsible for leading one of his Sunday school students to Christ. That Sunday school student was named Dwight Lehman Moody who became one of the most famous evangelists of the 19th century. Mr. Moody influenced a Presbyterian pastor, 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, um, William Chapman, who then also became a traveling evangelist. Chaplin influenced a young baseball player, by the name of Billy Sunday, who became an evangelist. Billy Sunday emphasized a man by the name of Mordecai Ham, who most people don't even have an idea who that is either, who was, uh, became an evangelist and was used by God to convert a young man that was in an obscure southern town, back then a farming town, to Christ. 
That young man was Billy Graham. So you never know. You never know how God might use you. You never know the influence that you're having for Christ. But here's the thing. To do that, you've got to serve somewhere. You really do. I personally believe that no one is saved to sit. No one. Now, we don't know the role that Priscilla and Aquila might have had in Corinth alongside the discouraged Paul. They talked and worked together. But Paul commends them in our text saying that they risked their necks for me. They risked their lives for me. And I, I look forward to hearing that story in, in heaven. I really, I really do. But there's a negative that we need to see in this chapter as well. Remember at the beginning of the message, I said everyone has the potential for widespread influence or the potential for wretching conflict? Paul first commends a whole host of people who would, in my opinion, fall under that category of the great cloud of witnesses found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. But then he gives us a sobering reminder not everyone who comes in the name of Christ is really representing Christ, unfortunately. Here's what he writes. Now, I'd urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create dissensions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you've learned. Avoid them. For these are the kind who, serve, who do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By their smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of the naive. Now, there are people in church, I hate to say this, but there are people in churches who thrive on creating problems. <laughs> they, they really do. They think their spiritual gift is to create conflict. That's not a spiritual gift. I just didn't know that. Um, they're in it for their own benefit, not for the kingdom of Christ. They want recognition, and often they'll seek it by creating obstacles to those around them. So how do you recognize such people? Well, first, when you come in contact with them, they leave you kind of confused, kind of questioning something or someone. And second, here's the key. Don't be naive. In other words, don't be gullible. Don't be easily pulled in, and the only way not to be naive is not by coming to church and being spoon-fed, by knowing this book yourself, by spending time with the Lord yourself. You know, sometimes people come and they'll say, I, 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 you hear it all the time, I, I didn't get anything out of that service. And the reason for that is they've not put anything into it. And by the way, just excuse me for being rude, but I'm not the pastor, so I can say this. <laughs> this isn't for you anyhow. For him. If you're focusing on what you're going to get, I'll tell you what you're going to get, nothing. You're going to leave discouraged. But if you're focusing on Worshiping him, you will never be disappointed. 
so very important that we realize this. Paul starts to bring this letter to a close in verse 19 when he says, Your obedience is known to all. And thus I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. Stuart Briscoe, international speaker, pastor, Wisconsin church, uh, once was speaking to a staff meeting in uh, my first ministry. I was in an organization called Youth Guidance Incorporated where we worked with the delinquent young people. And he was speaking to the staff, and he told us this story. He said, you know, he had this very important uh, meeting that he had to get to. And he got up in the wee er hours of the morning when it's still dark outside, and he went outside, and he went to start his car, and nothing happened. And, and he didn't know what to do, so he ran back in the house. He called a mechanic in his church and asked him if he could come and, and help him. And uh, the mechanic said he would be right there. And while Stuart was waiting for him, he did what men do. He went out, he opened the hood of his car, and he peered into the engine, not knowing what he was looking at. But, you know, that's what us men do. We look in. And the mechanic comes, and uh, he says to Stuart, he said, Stuart, what's the problem? And Stuart said, uh, my car won't start. And uh, he said, well, what's it do? And he said, well, I don't know. It just won't start. So he says that the mechanic took a screwdriver and he handed it to Stuart and he pushed his hand down in the deep recesses of the engine and he said, Stuart, hold this here. And then he said, well, I was holding it there. He said, he went around to the car and he did something and he said, next thing I know, I got the shock of my life. I felt my top of my head was going to come off. And he said, the mechanic came around and he was wiping his hands and he said, uh, Stuart, he said, you're out of gas. And he said, what? He said, what do you mean I'm out of gas? He said, you, 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 your car's empty. He said, that's why it won't start. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. You put my hand in the engine. You do something inside the car. I get a shock, and now you're telling me it's the fuel? And the man said, yeah. He said, Stuart, you've got to understand, it takes two things to make a car go, spark and fuel. It's not the spark. It takes two things to make the Christian life run successfully. The spark of the Holy Spirit and the fuel of obedience. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Are you living in obedience to Him? If there's something he's been speaking to you about and you say, no, 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 no. Paul concludes his letter with a doxology. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that has been kept secret for long ages. You see, the Christian life from beginning to end is God's work in you, not your work for God. God's work in you. God's established us by the gospel 
and the good news of Jesus Christ. And you've heard through this series about the mystery or the secret. The mystery is that every person who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 13. The mystery, the secret from the ages is that in him are sins, past, present, and future, have all been forgiven. I still can't grasp that mystery. I'm thankful for it. The mystery is that we are adopted as his children and sealed by his Holy Spirit. The spark of the Spirit, the fuel of obedience. The mystery is that not only are we forgiven the penalty of our sins, but we are freed from sin's power. And that bothers me to no end because I'll tell you this. That means to me, Romans 6, 14, by the way, that means to me that every time I sin, and I do, we're all human, right? Every time I sin, it's not because I couldn't help myself. It's because I've looked at it and I said, I love this sin more than I love my Savior at this moment. scary reality, isn't it? The mystery is that now God has brought together all people from every ethnic group around the world, from every social background, from every economic background, from every dark past, from every difficult situation, from every sector of society, Jews, Greek, men, women, young, old, rich, poor, weak, strong, famous, and anonymous. And He, He has established us together by the gospel of His Son, Jesus Christ. He is always, always, always faithful. Even when we're not. God is not looking. God is not looking for people of great faith. He's looking for people who will trust his great faithfulness. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you with this marvelous book of Romans. And Lord, we pray that something that may have been said today might have helped spark more interest, keener interest in opening this book and preparing ourselves for service as we come. Now, Lord, move by your spirit. Do what only your spirit can do touch each heart and touch each mind and father if you speak to us we pray that we'll have the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it in jesus name amen